Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Well, good morning. So glad you're here with us. Thanks for those who are here in person for sweating it out with us this morning. We're, I would say we're in pretty good company. This is how like the majority of the global church it worships anyway, most of the time. We'll get rid of that for right now. Um, and uh, for those of you who are watching online, wherever you're watching from, uh, enjoy your AC. But we're really glad that you are here with us this morning. Um, and uh, this morning, we are starting a brand new series. We're starting this series in the book of Second Peter. And so, right, you know, I'm not going to keep you guys like crazy long. You, you saw the youth pastor walk up and you're like, whoo, the guy who does the short sermons. All right. I will do my best not to let you down. All right. But there is some killer important stuff in uh, these first few verses. And uh, I, I'm just very, very excited about how this letter starts out and what it, what it means for us. And so you can go ahead and turn. If you have a physical Bible, you can navigate there if you're on a device. You can uh, go to Second Peter chapter 1. We're going to start right at the beginning. And while you're doing that, I, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever thought through, if I had one last thing to say to the people that I care about, what, what would that thing be? Um, I personally, I haven't had like a ton of like near-death experiences or anything like that. I can really only think of two times in my life where I genuinely thought like, oh, this is it. I'm done. It's over. And one of those instances happened, I was on an airplane, a really tiny little airplane in the middle of nowhere in Myanmar. We were flying way out to this village, and uh, we were kind of coming down over the mountain. I don't know how all air currents work and everything, but it was this perfect storm of bad things happen, uh, that, that happened to us as we were taking that flight. And we're right by these mountains, the storm comes in, and I have never been on an airplane where I was so afraid that this thing was going to crash. I was so sure we were done. We were being tossed back and forth, up and down. The, the luggage compartments were like flying open. The lights were flickering. The, the, uh, the flight attendants, because they're the people you got to watch. If they're nervous, then you should be nervous, right? They're like strapped in tight. And I'm like, we're going to die right now. It's over. It's done. And I, was, I wasn't with my family, but I had that a moment where I was like, what was the last thing I said to my family before I, I entered into this scenario? Like, what, did I say something meaningful? Was it like something dumb? Like, what did I say to my wife and to my kids? And, and uh, I'd like to say that after that experience, I came home and I sat down, wrote beautiful letters to my children and my wife, but Megan nor I are that disciplined <laughs> or, or have that much self-control. Uh, and, and likely that will leave my mind till the next opportunity or experience that might happen that would, that would make me think about that. Uh, but, it's, but as I was studying this uh, letter, these few verses, I began to ask myself that question, like, if I did have the time, or make the time, rather, to, to write down the last thing I would want my, my people in my life who I care about a lot to hear, what would it be? And maybe that's like an impossible question for us to answer when we're not in the middle of it, but that's exactly what we find in the book of Second Peter. That's exactly what Peter does. He's at the end of his life, and this is kind of his last words to the churches that he cares about and loves and has served uh, up until this point. So a little bit of context before we actually get into the passage. Second Peter was written most likely to the same network of churches in the same area, which is Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Um, if, if you remember, a while back we did a series on First Peter. We talked a little bit about the type of people Peter was writing to. This was a, a circular letter. It was meant to be circulated among the churches. 
And it was also most likely written from the same place. Peter was in Rome when he wrote 1 Peter. Most likely he was still in Rome uh, during the writing of 2 Peter. And he wrote this mostly to people who are Christians who weren't Jewish, so Gentile Christians. In this letter, uh, the letter of 1 Peter that he's kind of following this up with, uh, he would refer to these Christians as exiles. That might sound familiar. That was the name of the series that we, that we walked through a while ago. And these were Christians that, uh, that Peter wrote to and encouraged because they were being like legitimately like hardcore persecuted, like far and beyond anything we think we've ever experienced. These people were experiencing hardcore, hardcore persecution. And Peter wrote them to encourage them. He, he, he reminded them that they are one in the family of God, that there's no distinction there, that the, the suffering that they are enduring actually can point people to Jesus and that the suffering will not go on forever. There is hope at the end of all of this and that hope is found in Jesus. And like I said before, he mentions in this letter that his time is short. He feels like his life is coming to a close. That whatever is going on around him, he is so sure that that, that path is headed to his death. And we have pretty decent evidence when we look at history and, and, and tradition that Peter was killed under the rule of Emperor Nero, which seems to line up time-wise with what's going on here. And actually, next week, the passage we're going to look at, he comes right out and says it. I'm sure that uh, I'm at death's door here. So this letter that we're going to be walking through is kind of like Peter's final words to these Christians that he loves and cares about so much. And I think that's significant. I think it's worth pausing for a moment as, as we read through this. Because we believe that this, this letter, like all of Scripture, is God-breathed, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, that everything in here is meant to be in here. But these letters also were written down by human hands in the middle of human moments and human experiences. And we, you can kind of sense that as he writes this. He is passionate that this is what I want you guys to grasp. This is what I want you to remember. This is what he felt most passionate about sharing with these Christians he loves. And so he starts the whole thing out uh, by giving one big final challenge to everyone who will listen. These are kind of his final words for anyone who will listen, and maybe even for those that will read the first paragraph and then skip to the end, because a lot of us are guilty of that, right? So he just comes right out the gate. This is like my final challenge to you guys. So let's read a little bit together. We're going to start in verse 1. He starts with a greeting. He says, Simon, Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is I'm writing this to anyone who has put their faith in Jesus, that he is who he says he is, and that through his death and resurrection, we can have right relationship with God, we can have forgiveness of our sins, and we can live a life of purpose through him. And through faith in him, we can live forever. So he's like, that's, that's who this is for. And then in verse 2, he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He says, I want you to experience more and more grace. I want you to experience more and more peace. Regardless of circumstances that you're living through, regardless of what's going on in the world around you, I want you to continue to grow in your knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is and what living for him is really all about. And then he goes on to give us what I believe to be this pretty raw, honest, like close-to-home challenge that Peter not only feels is really, really important to communicate, but the more we look into it and the more we sit on it, one of the larger character developments in his life, one of the larger growth arcs that we see in the life of Peter, because we've gotten to see a lot of Peter throughout the story of the New Testament. So here's what he says, in, starting in verse 3. It says, His, meaning Jesus, 
His divine power, his godness, his divine power that only God has and can dole out, has granted to us, listen to this, all things that pertain to life and godliness. Jesus, through his power that only he can have, has granted to us, to those who have put our faith in him, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. And this is the clincher right here. So that through them, listen to this, you may become partakers of the divine nature. That God's promises are a highway for us to be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Basically, Peter does this two-verse breakdown of what the gospel is right here. He tells us this is what all of this is actually about. He lays out how because we live in a broken world where sin reigns, that desires can't be trusted. And really, anyone who has like a shred of intellectual honesty, we all know that. Christian or not, does not take long to look around and see that that is the case, right? Desires can't necessarily be trusted. But by his power, he has given us what we need to escape this train that's headed toward disaster. And what's the end goal? What's all of this for? He says to partake or participate in the divine nature of Jesus. Let me put it in another, in other words that honestly anyone who's been coming here any amount of time should be kind of familiar with. It's all about becoming like Jesus. It's worth, it's worth it for us to just stop here for a moment and let that truth sink in. It's so easy to see that plastered all over everything. It's probably up here somewhere. It's plastered all over everything, and we hear it all the time, and so we, we, maybe we feel like it kind of loses its power. Like, the reality that God has called us to be like Jesus is insane. It's crazy if we stop and think about it. And I think it's important to remember this because Sometimes it's easy, I think, it's easy for me anyway, to lose the plot when it comes to understanding like what the gospel is really all about. Because we get hung up on pieces of it and we miss the whole. It can be easy, I think, for some of us to recognize our sin and be heartbroken by our sin, and that's part of the gospel, but we stop right there. When we do that, it just the gospel becomes all about shame. It can be easy for us to, for some of us to experience and be so grateful for God's forgiveness and grace, which is part of the gospel, but we stop there. When we do that, it just, we abuse that grace that God has given. For some of us, it can be easy to really enjoy the good things that come into our life when they come into it, to really grit our teeth and endure the hard things that we have to, have to endure. Um, and and we, we can do that in the gospel, and we should do that in the gospel, but sometimes we stop there, and really, at the end of the day, that just makes it all about us and our experience and what we do, right? It can be easy to think that it's just this one-time event to cover ourselves for when we die. But what Peter seems to make very clear is that Actually, every promise in Scripture, every piece of knowledge that we receive from Jesus, every experience that we go through in our life, it's all there so that we may become partakers in the divine nature, a.k.a. it's all there to help us become more like Jesus. Every moment of our lives, regardless of what we do for jobs and when we live and where we live and what the conditions are that we're living in, what relationship status we have, what financial situation we live in, our best moments and our absolute worst should all be seen as opportunities 
for us to become more like Jesus. It seems so simple, but I know sometimes when I look at my life, I get hung up on all kinds of peripheral details and I miss that. But Peter makes it clear like that is what this is all about. And honestly, any gospel that removes that or that doesn't center in and focus on that, that gospel has some massive holes in it. It's, it's, it's kind of weak. It's, it's not worth the cost. But participating in the character of God, becoming more and more like Jesus, man, that's something worthwhile. That's something that, uh, that we would, should want to pursue. But it's also something that's a pretty tall order. Um, I think if any of us look at the life of Jesus and think, oh yeah, I'm like just one or two degrees away from that, we're kidding ourselves, right? This is a tall order to think like Jesus, act like Jesus, react like Jesus. This is a big deal. Um, rewiring our lives or letting God rewire our lives, it's no small thing. And honestly, maybe it should frighten us a little bit because it's not something that we can accomplish on our own. But here's the beautiful thing. He gives us, this is what Peter says, he gives us every single thing we need to accomplish what seems like an impossibility. What awesome news that what God has called us to, God has given us everything we need to accomplish. I think of it kind of like this, um, and this real quick like trigger warning for all the parents out there, because I know we, a lot of us just got done with a week of distance learning, and I, I haven't met a single person who was like, that was the best week ever. Uh, it's a challenge, for sure. Teachers are killing it. Administration is working so hard to make that, to make that happen, but it's, it's a difficult thing, and honestly, you might look at it and say, feels like an impossibility. How are we supposed to accomplish these kids learning and having like the, the social interaction they need to have? Like it seems like an impossibility. But one thing I've really appreciated, and it's not a perfect metaphor, but it's helpful for me. One thing I've really appreciated is how the schools didn't write us as parents. I'll just use my school as an example. They didn't write me as a parent and be like, hey, we need your kids to do all of these things. Figure it out. Like, figure out how you're going to make that happen. We don't really care how. We don't really care if you can or can't. Just figure it out. That's not what they did to us. They provided for us everything we needed. They, they lent out Chromebooks. The teachers figured out really decent tactics to keep kids engaged and, and to be able to understand the technology. They are working overtime to give us everything we need to have success in this whole distance learning thing that we're all, uh, that many of us are going into. And if they hadn't, if the school had just said, hey, figure it out, and we don't really care what happens, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't have much care for us, right? And the same would be too, true of Jesus. If Jesus is like, hey, become like me, but I'm not going to give you anything you need to be able to do that, we would be destined for failure. That doesn't align with who he is. So what does this mean for us? It means Jesus does all the heavy lifting in our transformation. Jesus does all the heavy lifting. That he did not call us to become like him and then say, see you later. Hopefully you have the time and ability to figure it out. No, instead he gives us every last thing we need. He gives us the Holy Spirit to check our motivations and what we do and how we think. And really what this does is it says to us that we actually can't become like Jesus through our own strength or through our own merit, that actually not only was the goal given, but also the way to get there was given. And this is something that separates us from all other world religions and ideologies. The vast majority of them, it all depends on you digging down deep enough somewhere inside of you to be better, to take steps forward, to earn your place 
in whatever deity that you worship. But that's not the story of Jesus. Jesus instead says that you can't do anything on your own, but I'm going to give you everything you need to actually become like me. And honestly, this is the message you should be hearing at a church that loves Jesus. If you go to any church anywhere in the country or anywhere in the world, um, hopefully you are hearing this reality that, that on our own we are powerless to do this thing called becoming more like Jesus. But he has given us everything we need to be able to do that. And, and it's true, and I'm so grateful for that truth. But then as we keep going through this passage, Peter throws something in here that seems to be problematic, at least at first, like human glance. He tells us that, that this whole thing, this whole life is about becoming more like Jesus, that we can't do it on our own, that he's provided all that we need. And then he goes off and says this in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, this used to be a Baptist church. We have heard that you, you are saved by faith alone in Jesus. You can't add stuff to faith. Are you somehow saying that, that faith isn't enough? That there's something else that we need to add to this? I mean, you don't have to be around church very long before you start to get a sense like that's really bad theology. That, that we somehow earn or deserve our relationship with God based off of what we do. I think what Peter's doing here is he is showcasing the extremes that we so often fall into. I've said this lots of times from here. We as human beings, we love extremes. They're easy, they're cut and dry, they're easy to fall into, they're easy to defend. But pretty much every time, the way that Jesus tells us to go is somewhere in the middle. He rarely falls in the extremes, right? And this is the same, this tension is the same sort of, uh, same, it has the same sort of extremes here. Maybe you're more drawn to the extreme of, I have faith in Jesus and I can't do anything to help myself grow whatsoever, so I'm just going to rely completely on him and do nothing. And when you follow that, uh, that extreme to its logical conclusion, you pray a prayer one time, hope that it gets you into heaven, and then you just sit around for the rest of your life. That's not what Jesus has called us to do. Some of us may fall on the other side of the extreme, where we're like, yeah, faith in Jesus, is, I know it's important, but really, I base my relationship with God on what I do. And I have to do all these things so that God loves me more. And if I don't do these things, he'll love me less. That's not how God has called us to be either. We cannot fall streams when it comes to growing in our relationship with Jesus. The, re- the, the reality is this is not a matter of earning or not earning. Instead, it's a matter of priorities. Because what's most important to us makes everything else in our lives point toward the top of our priority list, right? If you have something in your life that, that is the most important thing to you, everything else you do is in service to that top priority. D.A. Carson, he's a pastor and author and theologian. He, he did a really good job of just simplifying this into a statement. And this is what he says. The dominant biblical pattern, the dominant story in scripture that we see is neither let go and let God. It's a nice t-shirt or bumper sticker, whatever. It's not good theology. So it's not let go and let God, nor God has done a bit and now it's all up to you. But rather, since God is powerfully at work in you, you yourself must make every effort. Because God is powerfully at work in you, why would we not give our relationship with God every ounce of human effort that we have inside of us? So how do we do that? How do we actually walk that out? Well, Peter tells us. He lets us know. Verse 
5 again. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with these things, with virtue, with, with good moral fiber, virtues that align with the heart of Jesus and that look out for other people around us. And to virtue with knowledge, uh, a, a hunger to know more about who Jesus is and about the life that he wants us to live. And knowledge with self-control, taking every desire, every instinct, every action and making sure it's submitted to Jesus. And self-control with steadfastness, uh, the commitment, the, the holding tightly to the promises that God has given us, the life that he's called us into. And steadfastness with godliness, which godliness really is just, it refers to a very practical, very real awareness of God in every aspect of life. Not sectioning him out, not letting him touch certain parts of our life, but just an awareness of God at work in all parts of our life. In godliness with brotherly affection, that kindness, that compassion that we're supposed to have like we were family to the whole world around us. And brotherly affection with the one that crowns it all with love. The kind, patient, honest love that the Bible describes to us. Really, what Peter is saying here is he's saying, make sure to pursue the very things that your faith in Jesus produces. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, these are the things that are going to come out of our lives. And so why would we not pursue these things with all the human effort that we have? Faith produces these things, and then as we do these things, these things, our faith is strengthened. It's this snowball effect. Usually we talk about snowballing effects like in the negative, right? This is a good snowball. I could use a good snowball right now. My goodness. All right. But it keeps growing and growing. And one is not, they're not mutually exclusive of each other. They, they go hand in hand that the more that we trust Jesus, the more our values are going to line up with his. And when we choose to make sure our life is full of those values, it only strengthens the relationship that we have with Jesus. It's both. It's knowing that we're saved through relationship with Jesus, but why would we not give every ounce of effort to that relationship? But this isn't just like a case study. It's not a theory. Like, it's not just for kicks. It's, it's very real stakes at play here. And Peter makes a point to, to let us know what those are. In verse 8, he says this, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So he's like, if you have these qualities in your life, these, these virtues, this self-control, this godliness, this brotherly affection, if you have these qualities in your life and they're increasing, they enable us to be effective and fruitful followers of Jesus. And if they don't exist, if you look at your life and you see a big lack of these characteristics, we're not good for anything. Isn't that like a kind of hard truth that we can know a ton about Jesus, but if what we know about Jesus never makes its way into how we act in the world, Peter calls us ineffective and unfruitful. And we get to the point where we're so nearsighted because we've, we've lost sight of the, the main thing, this, this becoming like Jesus, that we become so nearsighted that we're blind, that we can't see clearly. I've seen this, I've seen this happen more times than I would like to admit. Um, I've said this before from not, maybe not this stage, maybe this stage when it was in there. Um, 
I love working with teens, and one of the reasons why is because they haven't decided, like, what box to put God in yet. Um, they, haven't, they haven't experienced enough life or seen enough things to say, like, I believe God, but, like, to a certain extent. Like, he can do amazing things, but let's put him in, like, a, a realistic box here. And, and I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, like, as we grow up, we tend to do that. But when I, when I see a 13, 14, 15-year-old give their lives to Jesus and they hear about all the impossible things that God does and the healing that he can bring into their life and how he wants to use them to change the world, they're like, really? Really, he does? Awesome. I want to be a part of that. And they're so excited about it. They're immature as all get out, for sure. They fail all the time. But their faith in Jesus pushes them to these characteristics. They're trying to make sure that they're living according to God's virtues. They're trying to have self-control. They're trying to live out brotherly affection and love toward each other, godliness in all parts of their life. And as they walk through those years, they're just so excited about what Jesus is doing. And I see them grow and grow and grow, but unfortunately, I've also seen this happen. As they walk down this road, maybe it's been modeled for them, which that's on us as adults, if that's the case. Maybe it's circumstances, and they've experienced some really hard things in life. Maybe they have made just poor decisions. Maybe they just got really lazy. But what were once, these, this, this light, this brightness behind their eyes when they talk about Jesus begins to dim as the years go on. And, and I've seen way too many of these students who were so excited about the growth that Jesus wanted to bring into their life, get into their mid-20s and either throw their hands up altogether and be like, I'm done with this. Or maybe even worse, they've justified themselves into this space where they, they are convinced that Jesus is just an additive to the life that they want to live. Like they come to church, maybe they even serve somewhere. Um, maybe they read their Bible from time to time, they pray before meals, but that's the only time that Jesus ever pops up in their life. And that's such a clear picture to me of what Peter is describing. They've become so nearsighted that they can't see clearly who God wants them to be. And nine times out of ten, when I talk with these students, when they hit their crisis point or their breaking point, when I talk to them, it's because they fell into an extreme. They, they either fell into the extreme of saying, like, well, I mean, Jesus saved me from hell, and, and that means I'm going to heaven, so I don't really have to put in the effort right now, do I? Or they're so tired of spinning their wheels, trying to do the right things to earn favor with God, that they become so frustrated that they just want to throw the whole thing away. But the ones that continue to grow are the ones who understand that, Anything, any forward motion that I can experience is because of Jesus, but man, I'm going to give that every ounce of effort I have. The really sad truth is that those 20-year-olds become 30-year-olds, and those 30-year-olds become 50-year-olds, and those 50-year-olds become 80-year-olds. And some of these people, they, and, and, and I don't want this for my life. I don't want it for yours. I don't think Jesus wants it for any of ours. I don't think you want it for yourself. I don't want to look back over my life and say, man, the reflection that I am of Jesus never changed from when I was like 15 years old. Instead, I want to look and see a progression of growth because I knew where my strength came from and I was willing to give it as much human effort as possible. Peter wraps it up by saying this, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities you will never fall. If you practice these things that your faith in Jesus produces, you will never fall. You're not going to fall for bad teaching, which he's going to get into. You're not going to fall for temptation. You're not going to fall for the, the, the tricks of the world. You're not going to fall. 
For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying if you set your priorities right, you know where your strength comes from, and you put in the maximum human effort that you can, you won't fall for anything. If you could wrap this whole message up like just into a sentence, what Peter's really saying here is don't stop growing. Don't stop growing. Don't convince ourselves that like there's some, there's some ledge or some plateau in this relationship with Jesus where I can just look around and say, I'm good coming this far. I'll just stay here. He says, do not stop growing. Lean in to your relationship and faith with Jesus. Do everything you can to supplement it and support your faith in Jesus. This isn't just something he's saying. This is exactly what we see in his whole life. If you go back to when we first meet Peter in the Gospels, he was this super hothead, brash guy who was all about the destination. He's like, tell me how I can, I can be the most important. Tell me, tell me where the spot is that I can climb to where I can't climb anymore. Tell me where that is, and that's where I'll set up camp. But we see him much, much later in his life, ready, to end his, ready for his life to end. And he says, one thing that I want you to hear is never stop growing. So this is my challenge to us. We'll wrap up with this. Uh, what, do we, what do we do with all this information? Well, something that I'm going to be doing this week, and I would love to challenge you to, to join in with me, is what I want to do is I want to test my life against these, these uh, characteristics that we see uh, in, in the life of Jesus and these characteristics that Peter lays out. And so you make it work for you, but at the end of my day, when I lay down, I'm going to do an assessment. I'm going to say, God, are my virtues, are my values lined up with yours? Were, were they today? I'm going to say, God, is, is my pursuit of knowing more and more about who you are, was that, was that in me today? Did that lead me to, to set aside time to learn more about who you are? God, how is my self-control today? Oof, tough. <laughs> How's my self-control with my family? How's my self-control with temptation? How's my self-control on social media? How's my steadfastness today? Am I clinging tight to your promises? How is my godliness today? Am I just letting you touch parts of my life, or are you over all of it? How's my brotherly affection today? Which, man, the world we live in right now sure needs a lot of that, right? But how did I do in living that out? And then finally, how am I loving people today? Am I loving them with kindness, with, with patience, with honesty, in a way that reflects you? And so each and every day, I'm going to go through that this week, and I'm going to ask those hard questions. I'm going to give the maybe harder answers. And in doing that, what Peter says to us is that will only strengthen my decision to follow Jesus, my surrender to him in the first place, which, which then we have more to walk out in these very characteristics. And so I would encourage you to, to join me in this if you want to. Make it work for you. But uh, I think the thing that Peter just wants to make sure that we understand is there is always more that God wants to do in us. And the second that we get to the spot where we're like, I don't need any more, we've, we've, we've missed the whole point of what it means to follow him, which is to become more like him. Would you pray with me? And then we'll get you guys out of here before you melt, all right? Matt's going to come back up, and he's going to give us a couple pieces of information. So sit where you are when he does that, and then we'll get you out of here. Jesus, thanks so much for who you are. Thanks so much, Lord, that you have always have more for us. pray we never settle for, uh, for what is easy. We never settle for what we've already seen uh, that has already passed, God. I pray that we always are leaning into uh, the type of people that you've created us to be. 
Lord, I pray that that would be our mantras as, as individuals, as a church, Lord, that we are committed to never stop growing. We love you in your awesome name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Thank you.